Welcome to the Brewing Podcast. This is episode 61. Can you believe it? And this week I'm talking with one of the other editors of the Black Sea Journal that some and or most of you should be familiar with. And um, uh, so today we're talking with Ramon. Hello, Ramon. Hi, how's it going? It's going well. So obviously this is the third in the series and there'll probably be at least four, maybe five. And I think we're going to actually use this to end our second season of mm-hmm. uh, the Brilliant Podcast and sort of as a way to entrench what I want to do next, which really is more of these thematic episodes. I, I don't know if, if you checked out much of the, um, the one on exclusion, but I was really I happy yeah. with how it turned out. Yeah. Yeah, it was lovely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think that the idea of having these three different, like, really subjective, you know, like, point of view of the excluded sort of episodes, mm-hmm. and then, and mm-hmm. then that, that fourth episode that really, like, treated the topic in, in this theoretical sense, that really mm-hmm. worked for me. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. I, I think the problem with uh, this series is, is, frankly, that the, the concept of technology, almost everybody in their first, you know, first one to five years of uh, examining this sort of material found yeah. John Zerzan and found a critique of technology and probably, you know, accepted it full, full throatedly at some point and then mm-hmm. never thought about it again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the, the problem with that is that almost all critiques of technology predate the internet. Right. And as far as I'm concerned, the internet has changed the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, absolutely, as you say, I think that you know the vast majority of people who are who are talking about this issue are uh, are thinking about it in this very dualistic kind of Zerzanian um, way, uh, which again is is probably the way that that all of us got into this, um, or maybe I don't know, but for me at least it was, and. Um, uh, but for me, I think really it's it started with me in my graduate studies uh, thinking about uh, about what is modernity and then writing a lot about the philosophy of modernity. Um, and and so what, can, what authors are you referring to when you refer to modernity in this context? Well, so I, most of my writing uh, was on Hegel, um, and um, I also I did a lot of readings of Hegel via via Foucault and uh, Bataille and uh, Kant, uh, that is to say Kant on modernity. Um, so, you know, and for me, you know, technology and, and modernity are, are sort of important uh, concepts that I think of together in a lot of ways. And I think the internet um, as a game-changing form of technology uh, really reflects what modernity is, at least for me, and it's sort of a notoriously um, difficult term to kind of comfortably define, but for me, modernity was always the moment that history became self-conscious. Hmm. Um, hmm. And so that's, and that's, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not my 
um, uh, insight per se, but that's that's kind of the the definition that that I'm most uh, that I find most productive. So I think that you know when we think about uh, history or time becoming self-conscious, uh, and then you know using that as a template for thinking about technology and the internet, that that makes a lot of sense to me. You know that in a way, uh, you know the internet is is some kind of you know self-conscious form of technology or something like that. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you refer to uh, that definition. Uh, by that definition, then what's the definition of postmodernity? Postmodernity. Well, I mean, so for me, as as a Hegelian, postmodernity is is not something that actually exists at all. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, in you know, in uh, you know, in the kind of critical theory, continental philosophy, um, kind of graduate uh, environment, mm-hmm. graduate school environment. Uh, you know, talking about postmodernity as such is kind of uh, a dead end conversation. And I actually, I there was a barbecue I went to once for new grad students, and I met this guy who said that he wanted to write about postmodernity. And I said, "Oh, that's great. Um, why? You know, tell me more about that." And he said, "Well, you know, I really just picked it because I I, I don't really know what it means." <laughs> yep. um, and so, you know. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, so from a, from a, from a critically engaged kind of perspective of reading Hegel um, and, and Derrida, uh, there's no such thing as, as postmodernity. Um, I mean, Derrida, so my, my, my dissertation uh, at the time, which ended up uh, being aborted, uh, was on Hegel and Derrida together. And, and Derrida, in a number of texts, uh, says, um, in, in one place, he says, we will never be done reading Hegel. And in another place, he says, my philosophy is nothing other than an attempt to read Hegel. So, you know, even for somebody that uh, I think most people attribute with postmodernity to basically say, actually, we're not doing anything differently from, from what the kind of grand architect of, you know, uh, modern, modern thought was doing. Hmm. So, yeah. actually, just to follow this through into talking about, about John's thinking, um, so John, you know, as a, one of his core sort of pet peeves is postmodernity. Of course. So, so how do you map uh, the measure of what it is that you're talking about to his critique? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I have a lot of respect for John, um, you know, mostly because, like I said, he was so formative for me and has done so much for this entire constellation of ideas. But, but to be really frank, I think that the people who dismiss postmodernity as basically kind of meaningless jargon, which is essentially what John's opposition to it comes down to. Um, honestly, I hate to say it, they're just, they're just not reading it. They're just not reading it or they're not reading it uh, correctly or they don't know how to read it. They don't have a context for reading it. And, you know, mostly it's, it's people who, you know, this is, it's, this is not, you know, post-modernity, modernity. This is not just kind of like interesting stuff that you're like, oh, I'm just going to like, you know, flip open Hegel and see if I can get anything interesting out of it. It's, it's, unfortunately, it's not an accessible book. And, you know, this kind of material. You're referring to a phenomenology. 
Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically, when people talk about Hegel, they're not really talking about anything else. Um, okay. and, and, and frankly, Hegel never really said anything other than what he said in that book. And of course, the great, the great joke about the phenomenology of spirit is that in his preface, which is extremely lengthy, he basically tells you everything that he's going to tell you in the book and then wraps it up very nicely in the preface, which he does not do in the book itself. So the big joke is that really, not only do you only need to read the phenomenology, but really you actually need to read the preface. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, um, but so, yeah, you know, and again, I hate to say it, but basically, <clears throat> you know, John, uh, you know, John, uh, and the, the other people who are, uh, rightfully scared off by, by postmodernity because it's written in a, in a very irritating way, um, is, is just lacking the context. And frankly, I'll, I'll add to that just as a sidebar that, uh, in the French Academy in the eighties and nineties, um, there was, uh, there was basically kind of an unspoken, uh, idea at work that the more, um, obscure and painful you could make the reading of your text, the more effective it was. Mm-hmm. That really, you, you had done your job if you, if you wrote a book and nobody knew what the fuck you were talking about. That was, that was really, and, and it's, and there's a playfulness there. It's not, this is not a knock on it. I mean, there's a playfulness there that I think, um, when you read something like Deleuze and Guattari in the right context, you can really enjoy it. I mean, it's absurd, but you know, I, I, I taught that recently with some 18 year olds and, you know, at first, of course, they're all horrified and they're like, oh my God, I can't. I can't possibly find anything to engage with here, but then of course you have to you have to really um, suggest that that it should be read with a sense of humor. So yeah, I think in the North American context, it's actually easier to do that because of the semi-textbooks that chopped yeah. up Deleuze and Guattari into into yeah. more uh, bite-sized bits, where you could actually be like, "Wait, body without organs? How can you say that without laughing?" Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very funny. And it's like, it's this kind of annoying thing where, you know, you read something that you hate and then somebody's like, oh, didn't you find it so funny? And you're like, no, fuck you. But but really, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. So so bring this around to a conversation around technology or, or like to your initial thoughts into what, what would be new or what would yeah. be new critique. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, for me, what um, what I... The kind of thinking that that I find find most productive for myself to do is um, is uh, you know uh, cheesily, unfortunately, very Hegelian, which is to say that um, uh, du- dualistic thinking is is limited when when it ends there. And so, you know, dualism uh, in Hegelian thought is very important, but it's not the end of the conversation. And so I think that for a new kind of conversation about technology to happen in our context, the first thing that we have to do is accept that this simple, you know, technology bad, whatever this non-technology is thing is good, um, we, we just have to find something more interesting to say about it than that. Now, I actually want to pause you there for a second to say that in, in my assessment, really what we're talking about when we're talking about a, a new critique is how do we get beyond Heidegger's critique of technology? Uh-huh. Because as far as I'm concerned, John really was just a popularizer of a particular reading of Heidegger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so I assume that, they, that you know, because you did this in grad school, that you must have read uh, Heidegger on, on some level of depth. Sure. I mean, can you say a little bit more about what what you are identifying in in John's thought as being Heideggerian? Well, I mean, I can actually just read you 
specifics on what Heidegger's uh, critique was. Sure. Um, <clears throat> Heidegger articulates the essence of technology and humanity's role in revealing technology. Heidegger originally published the text in 1954. He suggests that the essence of a thing is to be considered to be what the thing is, and that only the true brings us into a free relationship with that which concerns us from its essence. The truth is sought by way of the correct. So obviously this brings in, you know, the, the right and wrongness of technology, yeah. which obviously we see John practice, you know, in the way in which he uh, brings a, a, what he calls spiritual, but what we would call Christian modality yeah. to it. Um, <clears throat> thus, four ways of owing hold sway in the sacrificial vessel that lies before us. They differ from one another, yet they belong together. The four ways of being responsible bring something into appearance. They let it come forth into pres uh, presencing. They set it free to that place and so start it on its way, namely into its complete arrival. So obviously this is very much Heidegger working off the yeah. Hegelian uh, dialectical and, and really post-Aristotelian uh, mm -hmm. sort of process. Mm -hmm. And that and that, that quote is from which of John's books? The, uh, no, no, all this is uh, from Heidegger, uh, the question concerning technology. Oh, yes. Okay, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of kind of language around uh, kind of imminence uh, mm -hmm. in in that passage, and I think in general with this. Um, so, so slow down, slow down, and talk about what that means in this context. Imminence. Well, so in the sense that um, something that is that is true in its essence is kind of being brought into uh, the world that, that we live in rather than just existing as a kind of latent possibility or... Um, what's, what's the example? Um, an like example. A, like a car? Sure. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, so, so, so it's being, it's something that's being realized, right? It's, it's an idea that's being realized and it's an idea that's true. Um, sorry, being, sorry, in, in this context, would... It wouldn't be the car, it would be the freedom of the open road. Right, yeah. I mean, it would be the whole kind of, um, the whole kind of universe of, you know, kind of implications and, you know, desires and so forth that are contained in this object, which are kind of being, again, brought into reality or brought into um, um, the, the material world from, from the realm of, of essence and ideas, right? Okay. Um, so I think that, you know, I think that, um, again, t that, that this, this way of thinking, um, is, uh, again, it's, it's, it's too comfortable for my liking with, uh, an easy distinction between, you know, um, kind of why things exist, you know, mm -hmm. um, rather than seeing, um, you know, for me, what I'd rather is, is, um, a vision that, uh, that accepts that what is is something that's kind of a, a commingling or a kind of you know messier kind of arrangement, um, and that there are kind of forces that are pushing and pulling, and um, you know rather than this more kind of linear idea that you know um, something that has uh, a, a true essence has this kind of imperative to to realize itself in the world. Um, which again brings us back to this idea that, you know, essentially uh, technology is, you know, in, invalid or that, that it, it's, it's something that shouldn't exist, um, but does regrettably, you know. 
Hmm. Well, okay. So, um, so in your own process of getting beyond these ideas, or or we'll just say getting beyond um, the 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 anarcho-primitivist concept, where did that where did that uh, where did that end for you in terms of usefulness and in terms of your own process? Well, I think that it's um, it just uh, it just doesn't it doesn't leave us with much. Um, it's, uh, In other words, again, rewilding isn't enough for you? Yeah, right. I mean, this is, you know, and I, I, I touched on this in my editorial for Black Seed 5, that, um, you know, to me, uh, 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 a series of ideas or a critique that basically, you know, um, so heavily limits um, people who are moved by it to, to act or live their lives is just, uh, it's a real problem for me. And so I, you know, I went through these stages of, you know, reading John and, um, you know, reading Uncle Ted and, and being like, oh my God, okay, so clearly, you know, very clearly we have to just kind of get, get rid of all this stuff, you know, maybe in my life or maybe in the world at large, some, some mysterious way. And then everything will be fine because, you know, all the technology is gone and, um, and there's just, there's nowhere, there's, there's nothing interesting. There's nothing interesting there. There's nowhere to go with it. There's well, in, nothing. In, in, in my invitation to this conversation, I, I sort of set up uh, there being two, two end games to, uh, to having the, a critique of technology and one of them being the, the hard end game. Yeah. yeah. So the hard solution being, you know, we must knock down the grid today. Right. We must, you know, or, or perhaps the ITS versions of the, of the hard case that says, yeah. You know, everybody should die, but especially the nanotechnologists and the right. nuclear scientists, and and right. and then and then contrasting that to the soft uh, negation, which right. basically says, "I will shut down my Facebook account. Yeah. I will uh, perhaps take on a practice of rewilding or returning yeah. to nature or whatever." So yeah. talk about uh, um, so those two solutions are pretty shallow, or, or yeah, there's not much there. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, and again, I mean, I think that, you know, um, probably everybody in this constellation of ideas is is wrestling. I mean, maybe uh, with with these kinds of um, options, or maybe I'm just kind of you know extra neurotic about it. But you know, I I I find myself you know thinking in those kinds of paradigms all the time, and and I think that I think that you know um, to to kind of reject. To reject that is kind of not um, not being fair to kind of how we got here. Um, you know, we as you know whatever whatever we are, green anarchists or mm-hmm. um, whatever we are. Uh, you know, I think it's it's totally reasonable <laughs> to to to, um, to feel that way and uh, and to think about those things. And again, you know, I don't I don't have anything against rewilding uh, at all as as a praxis or as a thing, whatever. Um, I just, I, I think that, um, the challenge is, uh, okay, given, given this, you know, given, um, given either the desire for one or the other or, or both, or given the struggles to kind of achieve some, some balance, uh, in that way, what, what does that do for our, for our lives? And also what does it do for our thinking? Um, and, you know, and I, as, as, as somebody who likes to, to write and, and read and think about things, you know, I, um, like I said, it just doesn't, it doesn't give me a lot to work with. It's pretty, it's pretty, uh, 
cut and dry. And um, I, uh, I'm naturally, you know, skeptical of, of ideas that can be reduced to something like that. So, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, but again, it's like, I, I do this all the time. I'm like, oh my God, you know, should I get off Facebook? It's so bad for my mental health. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, mm-hmm. um, but also, but also, you know, another telling thing about it is, is how utterly mainstream and banal that kind of critique has gotten. And we can see this by, um, how kind of shockingly accommodating, um, a lot of kind of mainstream writers and thinkers, uh, are to this idea. Um, you know, this is like any kind of like lifestyle guru website that you look at is going to be like, oh, you should spend more time outside and not be on Facebook, you know? Sure. Uh, I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not, you know, I, I don't like to use this word very often, but it's not, it's not revolutionary, you know? Sure. I mean, I, I assume you saw the, the funny thing that happened over the weekend where uh, Kevin Tucker was uh, discovered to, to be, paying Facebook for advertisement uh, for his next black and grin review uh, and, and his next book, which mm-hmm. is, you know, like the, basically the best theoretical contribution he's made over the past <laughs> five years was that, um, was that terrible essay, the suffocating void, yeah. you know, where the beginning, middle and end of it was Facebook is bad, not just mm-hmm. Facebook is bad, but Facebook is objectively evil. Yeah. And, you know, and it's and it's one thing to say that it's something else entirely to to say it and then basically say, but I'm still gonna spend you know whatever twenty thirty bucks right. um, uh, trying to capture the, the suckers that, that that are still on it. Sure. No, that's great. I I didn't I didn't see that, but uh, yeah. but it's it's but you know what? It's not even it's you know whether or not Kevin Tucker is sincere and kind of demonizing the internet and Facebook it it, it's, it doesn't even matter you know what I mean mm-hmm. it's like whether whether or not he's being disingenuous it's like you know that 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 position again it's like oh come on you know like this is not uh, it's just not that easy you know it's not it's not that easy and and I understand again I, I could which, not which be more part, which part isn't that easy the, the demonizing, the demonizing, you know, um, the demonizing of, of Facebook and the kind of this cult of like, um, uh, what is it like? We're, we're all disconnected from each other, right? That like nobody, nobody talks to each other face to face, you know, um, this is just like, it's not, it's, uh, if if you want to have a critique, even even like a, a profoundly kind of reactionary critique, which I'm I'm not using in a pejorative sense, but it's like even a critique like anarcho-primitivism, if you're going to try to critique what's happening, but you're basically demonizing everything, and that's the extent of your critique, then it's like, well, this is not again, this is not productive, and it's not interesting, you know. Um, and it's also well, okay, you know, okay, but but yeah. th- but those are also just epithets or epithets, sorry. Uh-huh. Um, so, so okay. So it's not interesting or intellectually, you know, uh, deep to to mm-hmm. say to to say these things. But what what's the other option? Um, I mean, I'm not I'm not sure that it's I'm not sure that it matters, and I'm not sure that it's true. And I should have, in saying so just now, I probably should have switched them in order to to indicate what's more important to me. Uh, you know, so it's, it's not, 
I'm not sure that it matters. I'm not sure that that is a meaningful question. Like how much face-to-face time are we spending with each other? How important is it to, to spend time face-to-face? I'm not sure that that's really the question that we should be asking ourselves. Okay. And now the natural question is? What is that? What is the question? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, for me, um, for me, I, uh, in my kind of more recent um, writings and thinkings, which are have been heavily influenced by by Carl Jung, which I'm sure if, if anybody's read anything that I've written recently, that's abundantly clear. Um, you know, for me, uh, the 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 more interesting question and the more important question is an inward looking question. Um, which you know, and again, I'm a I'm a bad anarchist or whatever, but I'm not I'm not much of a I'm not much for um, for uh, collect collectiveness or the the collective or whatever. Um, and so I think for me, really, um, the questions that are important are the the inward looking ones. And and by inward looking, I certainly do not mean how should I organize my my time during my day in terms of spending time you know digitally or not or out in the forest or or in a cubicle or whatever. But um, but rather you know the questions that um, that one asks to oneself you know um, uh, the kind of inward looking questions that uh, are are related to um, to uh, the kind of symbols and ideas that are arising um, from our own from our own minds from our own spirits and dreams. Um, uh, not, so are not, you talking about how can we wage war against heaven, or are you talking about how can I be happy? Um, more of the first. More of the okay. first. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think, um, yeah, I think the, the question of, you know, what, what happiness means, you know, is not, is not one that I spend a lot of time considering. Um, you know, every, everybody will, will will find their uh, well. Hopefully, will find their answer to that. But, but no, for me, it's it's decidedly of the first category. So, um, you know, but I think in this way, you probably do share a lot of similarities with you know the the broadly stated anti-civ perspective that sure. basically says that we are, for lack of a better language, at war with, if not technology, the the forces that that have the power. To, to leverage technology in the ways in which uh, most of us experience technolo- technology in our daily life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I think that, um, you know, I think of myself as being, uh, uh, you know, profoundly kind of anti-civ or, you know, there's any, any number of other words that, that I might feel are more productive. But essentially, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that... Um, I mean, I wouldn't be, you know, kind of writing and, and thinking and talking in this context if at the end of the day I didn't fundamentally see myself as being um, anti-Civ. Sure. Um, but I think so, that... Sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that um, there's a great... Um, there's a great piece from from Jung that that I haven't written about, but I probably will, um, where he's talking about um, old cast iron pots and pans in the kitchen, and um, he's talking about how you know the spirits of the house and the spirits of the ancestors like to live in in old cast iron pots and pans, and that mm-hmm. they are they're frightened away by by the spirits of modernity. And here, of course, you know you can imagine that he's talking about you know kind of newfangled kitchen gadgets. Um, and I think there's, I think, you know, that's, 
that's really where um, where I, I draw my thinking from technology at this point is basically um, the idea that um, technology, again, uh, I feel like I should have said this you know, 20 minutes ago, but for me, technology is something that is um, totally fluid. Um, it's, it's completely fluid. It is not, um, and this is another thing that, uh, you know, most of my friends in real life are not anti-civ people or green anarchists. And um, kind of the, the number one thing that I used to hear when I, you know, used to rant about technology and civilization and coffee shops is, what, what do you mean when you say technology? Right. Do you mean, do you mean literally everything? Like what, what is technology? What isn't technology? And I had a great conversation about technology with a friend of mine who is a, a PhD student in genetics. And, um, and he, as a matter of fact, was in Eugene, um, when the whole, uh, uh, Zerzanian moment was really going on there. But he, um, and I think actually he, he was a sound engineer, uh, for John in the really early days. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but he, um, I think he, even at the time, I don't, I don't know what the fuck he was doing on that show, but, um, but he's never had even, even the most remote sympathy for, for this idea. And, uh, you know, he comes from a family of scientists and, you know, is himself, of course, a very, very brilliant scientist. And we had a great conversation about technology. And he basically said that um, he thinks that technology is basically just what human beings do. Sure. And so, in a way, he feels like technology, in other words, for him, and of course he's a geneticist, but for him, technology, there's no distinction between technology and the organic. You know, technology is organic for him, absolutely. Um, so, uh, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I disagree with him. No, no, I'm not sure I am either. Absolutely. And, that's, yeah. and so, that's, so when I say that I think of technology as being something fluid, you know, I'm sort of trying to point to that, that idea that, that really, um, I think that, uh, you know, it, 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 unless we're comfortable sounding really, um, you know, well, just kind of stupid, we, we have to be able to say that we're against something more specific than technology. Um, sure. So, well, I actually want to use this as an opportunity to to put a fork in the conversation. Sure. On the one hand, when uh, where I thought you were going to go here was to talk about the difference between being a Luddite and being oh, yeah. anti-Civ, because I do feel like w- where you're sort of evoking is sort of like in that Luddite direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I do think that a lot of people who's who spend enough time living these ideas mm-hmm. eventually come to find Hawking Bay or Peter Lamborn Wilson mm-hmm. and and recognize that that motherfucker is smart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I think he was smarter than most of the other theorists that we talk about all the time. But yeah. of course, his name tends to be Hushed Whispers. Yeah, yeah. On the other direction, I, I think it is worth talking about the the idea that and, and, you know, fundamentally, I take this in, in a nihilistic direction, but, mm-hmm. but, but I, I think it is worth sort of reflecting on the fact that if technology is just what people do, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I think that there's plenty of examples of talking about, um, like, I don't know if you've caught this, but Kevin Tucker has written some actual critiques of Native American life mm. prior to contact, mm. basically accusing them of, of such crimes as animal husbandry and horticulture, which for him are, are serious cuss words. Sure. Um, and so you, 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 get to, you can decide where we go from here. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think that, you know, that's really, um, you know, I think that uh, talking about um, uh, 
being more like a Luddite, I think, is is something um, that I have a much easier time um, mm-hmm. with. And you know, for me, I um, in my in my thinking and writing, I talk about you know, kind of pre pre modern or pre industrial. Um, and so for, for me, you know, I, over the years, um, you know, and again, I, I, I started off being very compelled by this idea that, you know, uh, animal husbandry was, was the beginning of the end. And there's basically no difference between, uh, a yoke and the atom bomb. And I was very comfortable with that for, for a little while. But, um, but yeah, I think that, I think that, um, that uh yeah that that it's it's just absurd to to go back you know to kind of pre-industrial conditions and um and you know to kind of demonize those societies because because they practice horticulture i mean it's it's just outrageous and i think that um, honestly it's a classic western way of seeing everything in the world through the moral lens that you construct yeah and and really just chopping humanity to bits yes with with your uh with your scalpel yeah, yeah. And and I must say that um you know my 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 father is a very classic uh kind of Marx Marxian progressive leftist or whatever. And uh a long time ago we had a conversation. We don't have many of these days, but uh we had one back then and I don't remember you know what particular kind of extreme nonsense I was saying, but but uh basically said, you know what, you, you can't just, you know, go in and kind of separate humanity like that, you know? And um and sure enough, I mean it's really uh it's really ridiculous. And and you know, I this is also something that that I wrote about in my Black Seed as Royal for Black Seed Five. You know, this idea again that that you know, uh Tucker's kind of extreme position on this, it cuts out uh it cuts out the last ten thousand years of human history. You know? Well, <laughs> and it, unless you ignore Pol Pot. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Right. I mean it's it just it it doesn't it doesn't leave us with anything, you know, and of course they'll say, well, it leaves us with one million years of of hunting and gathering yeah. but um but yeah, I mean for me, so yeah, I mean to to get back to the original point about you know luddism or whatever um you know for me for me um uh for me it's about it's about industrialism uh you know that that in some cases may not be a specific enough word, but I'm happy enough to use it. Um, and I, I do have to say also that one of the reasons I stopped finding um, the kind of Tucker's or Zanian nexus um, so unfulfilling at some point um, was related to um, my readings in, uh, you know, Robinson Jeffers and Taoism. Um, which was my my entryway to um, the kind of inhumanism that uh, that we get to talk about now, thanks to ITS, um, right. and and that was really uh, a huge a huge thing for me in thinking about technology, because um, because basically from an inhumanist perspective. Um, it may not matter very much if uh, animal husbandry was was a really uh, uh, nasty thing to do, and and actually maybe that's a bad example because that one has to do with animals. But um, but you know a lot of the kind of technology that gets um, uh, attacked by by kind of adherence to to a Tucker Zerzanian perspective is that it's bad for humans, right? That, yeah. that technology is bad because it's bad for humans. Yeah, sure. Because we were happier. 
because we were happier, damn it, when we were all sitting around, you know, without Facebook, we were happier. It was better for sure. us, you know? And, well, and, and I mean, obviously, the, the issue with that always is, and the evidence we have for the fact that we were happier right, is right, this eth- 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 ethnographic study that makes a very compelling case that... Yeah. You know, the blah, blah, blah people were very, are quite happy. They're so happy. Look at them. Right. Um, but, but, but you know what, but, but, but really, uh, you know, apropos in humanism, let's say it even is true. You know what I mean? Sure. Let's yeah. even say that they're absolutely right. Let's say that before the wheel was invented, every single human being was supremely happy all the time. Let's even take that. I mean, yeah. and, and of course, we know that it, uh, that's absurdity. But, but even so, you know, even if we take that as the premise, that is not sufficient for me, you know? Yeah. That is not the most compelling thing to me because I, frankly, at the end of the day, I'm not here for human happiness, you know? Yep, yep. No, I mean, especially, you know, when I, when I uh, extract what, I, what it is that I'm doing with my time and energy, I spend a lot, uh, very few hours a week devoted to my own personal happiness. Yeah. I, I spend an awful lot more time uh, motivated to just sort of like getting through resting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure. Respite, yeah, which is yeah. not happy. It's just the the requirement to, to do the, the horrible things that I have to do. Of course. Sleeping, dreaming, eating, fucking, whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, these, I mean, these things, you know, to, to, you know, to say that these things are happy, right? I mean, how absurd. Um, well, it, it is interesting, though, just to, just to touch, keep, stay there for a second. Where is the pedagogical, ontological orientation of human happiness being the primary responsibility or, you know, compulsion? Yeah. people that to me is an interesting question because i'm not yeah. sure i know the answer right like right you know di- is that something about like once we constructed this thing called the garden of eden we then framed all the rest of our human experiences as being in the shadow of the right. fucking really awesome place that we're not at right you know is it that crass or or is it more subtle I mean, I honestly, I, uh, and I haven't thought about what I'm about to say very much, so maybe I'll immediately regret it. But I think, um, uh, I think that this idea of, of happiness is sort of a, is kind of an 18th century, you know, French revolutionary yeah. kind of idea, you know? I would actually go more, more in the Victorian version of uh, talking sure. about love. Sure, right? Cause, sure. Because I totally can imagine being in relationships that are purely logistical and, and you sure. know, about marriage yeah. and the, the way in which that's transitioned. And we live in that, in that tra- post transitional era. Yeah. Like to me, this feels very similar to that. Yeah, no, that, that I have no problem with that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's, 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 it, you know, however we want to define it, it is to me, it's, it is a, it is a, a, a profoundly recent idea. And it's also an idea that, that comes out of, you know, kind of social forces that, uh, you know, we would, we would not want to, um, to affiliate with, you know, the history of the history for that is not something that, that we should want to promote. Now, if I were, you know, one of the things I didn't do to prepare for this conversation is I didn't actually reread John's quote unquote critiques of technology. Uh You perhaps know his literature better than I do, but I do feel like on his radio show, you know, which I mostly only, only listen to to hear how he unfairly characterizes positions yeah. that I share. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, so I, I don't want to 
you know, devote too much energy or, or no. I don't want to be perceived as misrepresenting his position. No, no. Uh, really, really what I am trying to do is talk about whether technology is different than civilization is different than. Right. And, you know, one of the things that we're talking about a lot is this concept of basically a history of ideas. Yeah. And so I'm curious as to your thoughts uh, as to how you would differentiate between the history of ideas and the critique of technology. In other words, technology is one of the ideas that we're talking about when we yeah. talk about being anti-civ. Yeah. What, what are some of the other ones in, in, in your view? Um, um, I think um, um, I think that um, a kind of like a, a, a certain kind of egalitarianism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a big one. Um, I think health comes up a lot, you know, kind so of he, not just human happiness, but also the, that our teeth were better and yeah, yeah. lived, lived 40 years really vigorously and then we killed over and died. Right. And, and, you know, the quality of those, of those 50 years were so right. good because we were all so vibrantly healthy and robust. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> we were ru- running over the, over the Serengeti hunting our next meal. Yes. Sure. Sure. And, you know, and the women, I, I don't remember, I, uh, I think this is from John, one of John's books, but, um, or in any case, some, some, in, in one of these kinds of pieces, um, there's this piece about how, uh, or there's this, this moment, um, about how, um, the, the women used to give birth without pain or, or struggle. And they would just kind of, they would just, uh, squat down on their, on their glistening haunches and just, oh, man. you know, and just a little baby would just pop right out and they'd be oh. good to go. And the baby was so healthy and they were so healthy, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you remember, but for me, high school literature, I I remember reading the good earth. Uh huh. Yeah, sure. And at the heart of the good earth was that exact same sort of like in the rice paddies of China. Yes. These pe- these more naturalistic people would just. Yes. Oh, oh yes. They're they're so they just you know birth and death and it's just it's all so lovely and they're all so healthy and happy and blah blah. blah. Um, I, I you know I think that's really I think that's really a big one you know and and especially when you look at um, I think where rewilding has has ended up at this at this particular moment it seems to me that rewilding is is almost exclusively kind of a a new health movement yeah sure you know it's um, it's, it's, a, it's the dude version of goop yeah right yeah absolutely um, you know and and so I think that you know again. Um, this is all. This would all be very compelling. Um, first of all, uh, if, if any of it were true, which is a huge, you know, uh, qualifier. And second of all, and more importantly, if again, if our orientation was exclusively towards what's good for humanity, mm, right? You know, again, it's like holy shit. You know, like I don't, I just, I just don't care. You know, I just don't think that that's um, the most important thing. Yeah, um, you know, one of the things that this does bring me to thinking about a little bit is, especially in the context of rewilding, but really anarcho primitivism in general. You know, the reason why rewilding or or the the yeah the reason why rewilding was able to become commodified is because uh-huh. anytime you articulate a clear solution uh-huh. to the problem to the problems of the world, yeah, you basically open up the opportunity for this type of commodification. Sure. And, you know, as, as much as it's lost me, perhaps an audience that, you know, that would have been with me when they yeah. hear my critiques, yeah. I feel like for me, it's been a, a, 
a political philosophical obligation to not articulate critiques yeah. for this very reason that yeah. that yeah. that it's basically the 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 saying here's the answer yeah. that, that 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 there are people waiting to, right. to hear what the answer is to figure out how to turn it into a t-shirt right. or or a movement of, of a variety of ways and right. and that but the challenge is so great you know because basically you can you can wallow in obscurity or you can come up with a solution yeah 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 i think that's i think that's a great point and i think that um i think that you know i uh i don't i don't ever want to get in the business of solutions you know um I think that uh, I think that at the end of the day, you know, solutions are going to be, uh, you know, it's it, it. There's not a solution. In other words, um, to me, there's not a solution. There's not a solution to be had. Um, uh, God knows, everybody, myself included, are are going to you know dedicate their intellectual lives to finding one, but there isn't one, you know. And I think that I think that one thing that I um, have only kind of recently really understood is just how many people out there in our milieu are looking for an answer, for a solution, for something, sure. to, something to do. What, what should we do? This is all fine and good, but tell me what to do, God damn it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I wouldn't feel, I mean, I, you know, to say that I wouldn't feel honest doing it is neither here nor there because I, I would never do it. But, um, but it's not, it's not, it, it, it's, it's never going to be that, um, it's never going to be satisfying. Do you know what I mean? It's never going to be. Uh, it's never going to be uh, a compelling idea if it if it can be packaged like that. Well, and also, you know, I, I I'm sort of going to change the subject because I feel like sure. we've, we've pretty much uh, done what we need to do here. But uh, but we are on some level making an argument against black seed. Against black seed. Yeah. Uh huh. How so? You know, black seed. You know, is a propagandistic project. Oh sure, 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 sure. And and so I, I guess from your perspective, you know, you've really only been involved in one issue of the, of the paper. But yeah. how has it succeeded and not succeeded at the particular problem that we're that we're talking about right now? Well, I mean, I think I think I would look at it. Um, I would I would frame it a little bit differently, um, not to say that it's not uh, propaganda, but to say that, you know, for me, propaganda is. Um, well, whatever. For me, the work of Black Seed um, that I've been been able to be involved with, and and hopefully in the future, is is about um, is about opening things, not closing them. And and solutions are is closing it. And so, to me, uh, I, I actually don't don't see uh, a contradiction here. Um, I don't think that we're we're going. I, I, you know, I don't feel like I'm going back on on Black Seed in this conversation because to me, um, the the project of the project of writing for Black Seed for me is about um, opening, opening questions, opening new lines of questions, more kind of more um, more resonant questions, questions that that get us to to, to think and imagine and and dream in kind of more um, more powerful ways, you know. Well, that's very optimistic. But how would you uh, say that you succeeded and didn't succeed at that in issue five? Well, I mean, I think um, I, I, you know, I felt like the kinds of material that was in Black Seed Five um, genuinely um, uh, took this conversation in some new directions, or at least kind of gestured towards where those conversations might take place. And I think one of the ways that um, I feel very good about us, uh, what we did is, is by, by uh, making indigeneity a primary, a primary point. Sure. 
Um, so I think that that, you know, you know, for the simple fact of that, you know, almost without exception, I don't think there's any anarcho-primitivist uh, and hardly any green anarchist uh, uh, discourse that has been, you know, indigenous. Um, so I, I feel very good about that. And again, I think that, you know, again, you know, reading indigenous writers on these questions are not, are also not going to give solutions. You know what I mean? Um, they're not, you know, they're, they're not going to give us this kind of, you know, 10 point plan to kind of restoring your humanity or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think, I think, yeah. Actually, it's worth mentioning here to drop in Heidegger again and talk about sort of one of the last points that Heidegger makes about technology, but actually that I that I probably still agree with Heidegger about, which is that he talks about um, modern technology as in framing. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. so just to read the, the last quote from him, in framing means the gathering together of that setting upon that sets upon man i.e. challenges him forth to reveal the real in the mode of ordering as standing reserve. In framing means the way of revealing that holds sway in the essence of modern technology, and that is itself not technological. And and I actually the best way that I've ever saw John put it uh-huh. is to say that, that the first technology was separation of tasks, um, uh, you know, especially in, in a gendered way. Uh-huh. And this, to me, is, is where indigeneity is really important in terms of talking about sort of the future black seed or the, or the way to think about sort of a future green anarchist's understanding, which is to say that um, an indigenous in framing uh, knocks some of these blocks off of the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, 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 the traditional way in which the West does this sort of task. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think that's really key. Um, I think that that really a lot of the a lot of the kind of bullet points that that we've covered in this conversation uh, in terms of you know um, ha- you know happiness, technology, you know uh, f- freedom is kind of a, a big thing that we we didn't talk about, but uh, could easily have been kind of um, juxtaposed onto this. I think that um, that we as you know, uh, you know, post anarcho primitivists or current or green anarchists um, simply have not um, have not succeeded in uh, taking our conception of what these things mean outside of a of a of a Western paradigm. Yeah, it's a, it's extremely challenging because, of course, you know, the the task is both to critique from within, sure, and with the goal of being to create an outside. Yeah. But but how do you create an outside when there's not necessarily anybody there? Right. I mean, I think I think that you know that's a great question. But I think that I think that honestly, um, just in the context of Black Seed and Black Seed Five, I think we can point to some really specific ways. Um, you know, uh, namely, you know, let <laughs> including indigenous voices, um, sure. and and what that means. Uh, by doing that is that we're saying, okay, do you know what? We're not going to write off these people because they practiced animal husbandry, you know, (laughs) or we're not going to write off these people because, you know, they occasionally massacred huge numbers of people, you know? Um, so I think that, that, that right there is, is a way out of, um, you know, this kind of closed conversation, um, because we're, we're just, we're, we're making the critique into a living critique because we're not cutting out everything that exists. Yeah. Well, and I have to admit that that is probably the, the part of the West that I, that I have both am, am the guiltiest of participating in, which is that um, 
that idea of drawing lines uh-huh. over human beings. Uh-huh. I I have definitely fallen fallen <laughs> into that trap a lot in my, in my life, and and figuring out how to not do that and, uh-huh. and how to be how to dance lightly around these questions of drawing lines. Mm-hmm. It's, it continues to be a huge challenge because yeah. because basically there's a lot of motherfuckers in the world, and I would like to call them motherfuckers. Right. Right, but you know, we <clears throat> see that the the end game of this whole way of thinking, you know, looks like call out culture today, and yeah. call out culture is gross, and I want nothing to do with it. Right, right, yeah, yeah. I think it's, um, I think it's again, uh, you know, the, this is, this is kind of becoming my mantra here, but you know, again, there's there's just. Um, it's just not. It's just not that easy, and we have to. I, I think that that we have to become more uh, comfortable with the discomfort, uh, the kind of intellectual discomfort, and you know, spiritual discomfort or whatever. Um, you know, it, this is not. This is not meant to be comforting. And and honestly, when you when you read the kind of classic text of anarcho primitivism, you come away with it with a very deep, or at least I did, and I think a lot of people do, come away with it with a deep sense of comfort. Right, we know where we stand. Mm. We know where we stand. Right. We're standing on some firm fucking ground because yeah. because we can make these kinds of statements about about technology and feel really justified in in what we're saying. And it's comforting, and it's a stable view of the universe. Which, uh, of course, the stable view of the universe is precisely what got us here in the first place. Um, yeah. This 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 you know this stable view, which uh, you know by the way is is pretty directly simply a product of kind of. 19th century uh, Victorian geology. Yeah. <clears throat> right? The universe. Oh, for sure. The universe is so, it, it, it runs by rules. You know what I mean? It runs, mm-hmm. it's, it's ordered. It's all cool, man. You know what I mean? And so, you know, like you, you, you think about these certain kind of binary ways of, of looking at these problems. And to me, that's what they are. They're comforting because they're, because they're easy. You don't, you don't have to struggle anymore. Since we are talking about black seed, what, uh, what do you have on mind, or you know, to the extent to which you're thinking about uh, what you're what you're gonna do for issue six. Um, uh, yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> I um, I um, I've been doing uh, a lot of writing about sacrifice um, in a number of different contexts, and um, that topic brings me back to um, to one of my first uh, loves in my PhD work, which was George Bataille. Mm. Um, so, um, so I've been doing a lot of, uh, writing about that. Um, and, you know, sacrifice to me is, uh, is a really, uh, important and and kind of interesting question. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting and important because, um, it is, it's, it's a discomforting idea. You know, it's, um, it's something that, uh, you know, not not in a kind of a social construct, but 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 in the realm of ideas, it's it's something that I think really challenges um, a lot of the neat and tidy kind of ideas that 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 have um, that have been so popular in our milieu for so long. Yeah, especially when you talk about the the term sacrifice. You know, the only way in which people sacrifice in in this culture is by essentially Protestant sacrifice, right? Yeah. Which is sacrificing your body to the forty hour week right, right, uh, right, right. work <laughs> work gods right. rather than sacrifice that looks like something intentional that you do as part of your spiritual life or, right. or your your ritual life. Right. 
yeah, and it and it gets back, I think, to the to the idea of happiness, which um, and looking back on it, I think it's quite apropos that a conversation about technology spent spent so much time around around the issue of happiness. But um, but I think that you know, in a lot of um, in a lot of uh, um, pieces about uh, kind of indigenous spirituality. Uh, this question of of happiness is is just understood in a really different way, and and I'm thinking now about some of um, some of Jung's writings uh, when he was traveling in Africa, um, and you know talking to people about about this idea of happiness, and 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 it was completely completely foreign, uh, and um, and that wasn't to say, of course, that that they were always miserable, right? And I think that that this is you know, and and so to me the idea is sacrifice really gets at this idea that you know one can um one can find um a a, a sense of of meaning and and uh maybe even a sense of fulfillment or a sense of joy even within um an act which uh both appears to be and is uh, uh, a sacrifice, right? Uh, a sacrifice of something, you know, pr- profoundly important. You know, not not like oh, you know, uh, uh, you know, my my job, but you know, my life. You know, the the life of another. You know, um, that 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 even these kinds of acts uh, need to be understood in a more nuanced way. It's it's not, you know, it, it's not the 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 sense that we have. Um, in our society in our, or in our paradigm about what it means to suffer, I think is just as, as kind of misguided as, as what it means to be happy, that these things can be parsed out so neatly from each other um, when, when in reality, um, you know, suffering and, and happiness are, are, are so vitally linked um, and, and need to be understood in, in a much more inter, interconnected and inter, intertwined kind of way. Ramon, thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you.